Welcome to Go and Make from the Archdiocese of St. Louis, equipping you to live the great commission of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all nations. Okay, welcome back to the next edition of Go and Make. We are rejoined by Father Chris Martin, Vicar of Parish Mission and Vitality, Vicar of Strategic Planning, but no longer the Chief Operating Officer of the Diocese either, right? So (laughs) eliminating a few responsibilities and titles so we can really focus on the main thing, which is making disciples of all nations. Yeah, actually get to try to focus on how do we lead people into deeper relationship with Jesus. So that's a good thing as a... As a priest and somebody that works for the church, what a novel idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Well, and that, I mean, that's always the tension, like everywhere, right? And and our pastors feel this, and our parish administrators feel this, people in the business office feel this. Like, there's just so much that we have to get done. Sure. So much we have to get done. And the temptation is always to think, well, if I don't do the business things first, then I'm never... The, the evangelization stuff's not going to work anyway, you know, and and the building's on fire, and what do we do? And and I think that you know you've you've definitely been living in these last few years of of planning ever since that that tension of okay, but the main thing is intimacy with Jesus and and telling other people about Him, and you know, yeah, I mean St. Paul, as we know, he describes administration as one of the charismatic gifts, you know, that you can actually have. It's not and a so bad thing. It's not a bad thing to be good stewards uh, and to. Again, help the the machine run, so to speak, but not for its own sake, but for the sake of the gospel, you know. And so we don't try to just maintain infrastructure for the sake of infrastructure, but how do we align ourselves well? So again, we can go out and effectively share the good news of the gospel. So yeah, Pope Francis talks about in the joy of the gospel. He talks about the reorientation of structures, which we spend a lot of time right. doing here at the diocese and in our parishes, and just com- which committee is going to do what and who's going to take on what. And he says. You know, even a good structure, even the right structure is going to fall short if it's not infused with a missionary spirit. Right. And and so just this morning, even we had a, a vicariate meeting of some of the folks in the northern vicariate, and we're just taking and we're just breaking open disciples make disciples. Mm. And on the agenda, it's got about fifteen minutes for this conversation that, that I'm leading for for the vicariate staff, and I think we went 40, 40 minutes, and it was the section on new ardor, new fire. Oh, nice. And. It was just a simple question of, you know, what is the Lord doing in your prayer life right now? Because you can't give what you don't have. Right. That's the first fundamental rule of, of anything, really, but especially evangelization. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord, you're going to have a hard time. And it was really beautiful because some of these people in the room are folks who are on the front lines of ministry out there doing stuff with parishes and walking the walk. Other folks are accountants and other more administrative roles. And everyone around the table just shared what the Lord is doing in their own personal life. Right. And you know, the temptation is just to separate those out and to say, I can't ask the finance person what Jesus is doing in their life. <laughs> you know, and, and obviously that's built from a place of trust, and our team has built a bit of trust to be able to do that. Uh, but there's no, there's no real separation of administration and mission. These things have to be intricately united. Right, and I think that part of the new modality is just, again, making space and time for the right and the most important things. So even here, you know, we we go through our meetings and it's not that you can do 45 minutes of Lexio with every single meeting that you go to because you do nothing but Lexio all day and nothing would happen and then people would complain again about how ineffectual the uh, the diocese is. Um, but, you know, as we were talking about, we just started two of our cohorts for the way with some of our pastors and we invited some of the lay staff in the vicariates to join us as well. 
And kind of like you were just saying, the, uh, the first thing that we did originally had 15 minutes set aside just to do some Lexio on the daily gospel. And it wound up taking about 40 minutes. And it was beautiful. Blew uh, the whole schedule of the meeting. Yeah, it did. <laughs> and, it, and it was great because um, it was an opportunity, one, for priests to pray with one another in a way that we typically don't get to do on a daily basis. But then also praying with the other laity in the room. And then like you were saying, that we're, we're all disciples. We're, we're all you know on this journey together. And that day, the um, the first cohort, the, the gospel was, if you wish to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And to be able to listen to uh, a bunch of priests and then people that are on fire for the Lord and working for the church talk about what does it mean to pick up your cross and, and follow him was just... It was the best thing. Like we, we could have done nothing else that day and just like walked out and been edified that, oh my gosh, like we actually all do love Jesus and we all are here for a reason, you know. And so. you just, it, it, give, it gives me and, and you and everyone in that room a heart for each other, right. like to understand the burden, to understand what people are laying down and suffering with. Like, you know, it's it, like the, the less you know someone intimately, the less sympathy and empathy you have for them. So right. if it's just, you know, we're here at the Regali Center, they're there in the parishes, and, and we can point our finger and say, well, the, what are the parishes doing to evangelize? These pastors aren't doing anything. Or occasionally a parish might look at the Regali Center, the diocese, and say, what is the diocese doing? And, I, right. you know, whatever. But when we're in the same room and we're praying together, it, it, it changes something. It changes our relationships. Yeah, I've even been uh, reviewing... Uh, some of the writings coming out from the Synod. And so not only Pope Francis's introductory homily, but then some of the conclusions and proposals, you know, that, that are coming out. And uh, at least even like when he opened the Synod, Pope Francis talked about how listening begins by placing ourselves in the gaze of Jesus, that you, you can't listen well unless that's your your starting point, your launch point. Mm. And so I think as we even kind of pray and discern and like create new ways that we can try to like go out and to evangelize, like we've said before, uh, programs don't make disciples, disciples make disciples, and disciples are people that sit at the feet of Jesus. And so that we have to really make sure that everything that we do, that new ardor is really rooted and grounded in rekindling our own prayer life first uh, and being able to share the fruits of our prayer with one another and from there, we can kind of go out and yeah, share the And it's that evangelization isn't a to-do list. Right. You know, it's not just, oh, go do these seven things, and people are going to to become disciples. It's <laughs> it's relational, and it's and it's messy. And again, I keep talking about the messy has been like my word in prayer lately, like be comfortable with messy. And, um, and my wife probably just thinks I'm talking about our living room, which is <laughs> oftentimes also a little messy, but it's, but it, but it is just that. And it's, if we get comfortable, um, just really what we're trying to do in the way we're teaching this cohort and the different things we're doing is we're really trying to model what we're teaching. So it's not, this is not just the concept, but it's like, we're going to, we're going to live it first with these pastors and, and parish leaders. And that's what, that's what Jesus did for us. He came to model it. Right. Prayer, vulnerability, and accountability, you know, and yeah, realizing that we're, we're all on the same page, we're all striving for the same things, and we're all trying to figure it out together. We're trying to discern together moving forward. So, yeah, you create the quote-unquote like safe space to say like, oh, you and I don't sit here and say like, oh, we know exactly what every parish needs as far as, 
you know, what will make it a new mode of evangelization that'll put hearts on fire that, I mean, the, the pastors know their people, the people know their, their neighbors better than you and I sitting at the Regali Center uh, know them for certain, but it, we all know Jesus. And so we, so we start with that, with him as our, as our foundation um, our shared touch point, and then we, we go from there. So we had uh, we had Doctor Sri in town for the Catholic Men for Christ conference last weekend, and uh, we had planned this curia formation, and some folks were going to come in for parishes <laughs> on on Friday afternoon before the men's conference, and that was the day of the uh, the unexpected pop up snowstorm that right. was supposed to be freezing rain. It took me about an hour and ten minutes to get back from the airport with with Doctor Sri because <laughs> it was just it was a total mess. We're coming up Hanley and there's a semi truck stuck in the middle of the road and it's fishtailing and everyone's trying to oh, slowly man. go around it. It was it was nuts. So what ended up happening was um, this afternoon formation session. There was there was no one there. Basically, <laughs> we had uh, there were ten people who were left in the building who who weren't going to venture out in the rain uh, and snow because it turns out if you actually waited out, the roads got better than. Than, than leaving in the middle of all of it. I know it's it's a crazy concept, <laughs> but the more the more it got responded to, the better the roads got. So some people stuck around. And what we ended up having was a, a small group formation with Dr. Sri, which is not something he gets to do a whole lot of, I think. I was talking to him afterwards, and, uh, and he loved it. It was a roundtable conversation with about 10 or 12 of us who were still here, and that was kind of his, his main point that day was, like, you just have to... You can't assume anything, and you have to live that intimacy with one another, and you have to to really just have a, a, a deep and devoted prayer life. And the more you can do that, the more all the evangelization stuff starts to fall into place. And, and one of the things he was saying is that you know he travels all around the country, and he wrote a book on prayer maybe a year and a half ago, and he's been presenting it. You know, you're, the latest book you write, I guess, is the uh, the thing you talk about the most. And I, I haven't written any books yet, so <laughs> maybe someday, you know. Um, but he said, as he's been talking about it, he's been really convicted and struck by how little the people he works with in parishes and in, in dioceses across the country, how little they pray. And like the intention to, to pray is there, but the reality of it, like everyone knows it's important. We can sit here and talk about how important it is, but like really making the time to have, and, and, and I think what he tended to challenge us on is it's not just the rote prayers, the rosary, or the devotion. Like we have a rich Catholic devotional life and those are all good and beautiful things. I'm not telling anyone not to pray the rosary or the, the liturgy of the hours or whatever, but mental prayer and contemplative prayer is something different. And we're not particularly good at that as Catholics oftentimes, or as, as ministry workers sometimes that, that to be able to sit in the feet of the Lord and listen and respond to receive and respond to what he's telling you is actually what makes evangelization go. Yeah, so even uh, the synod uh, summary, and again, I've just you know read it this morning actually, uh, prepping for a talk tonight. But it's amazing because again, they, they do they they talk about how uh, the grace of baptism, obviously with our shared priesthood, our, our shared uh, dignity as brothers and sisters in Christ, first and foremost. But that again, to even effectively listen to individuals, like to deeply listen, uh, and to effectively listen, presupposes that I myself already know how to do lexio well, uh, that I already know how to listen to the Lord myself really well, and and in doing that, then um, that cast out any fear. 
uh, of going out and encountering people where they're at because I'm not concerned about, quote unquote, being like out debated or that if I listen to somebody, that means that like tradition and scripture and the magisterium are all going to change. It's like, no, like uh, if, if I'm rooted and grounded myself as a disciple, I have then this capacity inside of myself to be able to encounter people no matter where they are. But first and foremost, like I want to lead them to know Jesus themselves in prayer. Um, and then we can, we can talk about moral theology and everything uh, later, you know. And that's the tension that I think we live in is that uh, sometimes we think that we need to solve some sort of like moral theology debate with individuals before they actually even come to know Jesus. Or that being a good Catholic means that I understand the moral teachings of the church, even though I don't know Jesus. And I can't speak about him. I can't speak about my own relationship with him and what he's actively doing in my life and or maybe like what I'm resisting him trying to actively do in my life, you know, and all the struggles that kind of come with that personal encounter with him. So. Yeah, I mean, it's we, we tend to put up those, yeah, those walls or those barriers. And I think that sometimes we become tribalistic almost. Like we're trying to prove a point or win an argument right. or, or point a finger at someone else and telling them why they're wrong as opposed to just having genuine zeal for souls. And, and I think that that is, I think, something you see sometimes in, in all parts of the church, But and it really breaks your heart. When someone's, when they get kind of um, really uh, kind of laser focused on one element of the church, right? And this can happen in certain liturgical preferences or other, all kinds of other things too, like this is the only way to know Jesus. And and what it is, then you're trying to convince everyone that they'll never know Jesus unless they see things exactly the way you do it. And uh, that's just, that's not been my experience of how growth happens in the church. And I think one of the gifts of working at the diocese is you see, uh, I, I, you see holiness in different places and in different forms. And uh, sometimes it just knocks your socks off. You know, you're just not, you're not ready for, you're, you're ready to write someone off. It's like, oh, that's that crazy person, whatever. And they, and you see them and you just, you see really intense holiness. Um, and it, it's just been a real gift to me in my own faith to see that there's so many different ways of approaching that. So let me um, let me tease something up for you here, Brian. Sure. So a conversation that you and I were having just a couple minutes ago, but also came up with a couple of our cohorts. And so, and I was talking to um, Joyce Jones uh, this morning, who also works for the diocese, uh, about this reality and talking about how she grew up uh, not Catholic, you know, but grew up praying with scriptures from the time that she was twelve years old, and was kind of astounded when she came into the Catholic Church about the lack of small faith groups, uh, the lack of ongoing Bible studies that she sees in like a lot of our parishes. Um, so let me ask you these two questions, or let me, let me tee it up for you. So small faith groups and small Bible studies, uh, we won't deny that they're, they're a good thing. Uh, but maybe can you talk a little bit about what is the difference between maybe like a small faith sharing group that I'm becoming like a lifelong member of and being somebody that's called to be like a missionary disciple? Like how do those two things coexist and are they exhaustive of one another? Yeah, they, they live in tension, right? right? And I think you see that a lot of times So someone goes on an axe retreat or encounters Jesus somehow or another, and then they find their people and what they tend to do is they they lean into those relationships and they form a Bible study or a small faith group. And, and I've talked to some of these folks. They said, we've been meeting the same eight women for 25 years. 
And in some ways, that is absolutely that's amazing, amazing yeah, and great. beautiful. And I imagine that those eight women have gotten each other through a lot of highs and lows in life and things like that. But if that's all you have, you know, and, and these things all take a lot of time too. Again, as like a, you know, as a layperson, you have the luxury of doing this all the time as, right. as a priest. No, but it is a little different. Sometimes. I get paid the big bucks that's to pray. Exactly right. right. Yeah. <laughs> um, me too. No. <laughs> but but if you're going to work nine to five, or a lot of people are eight to six, you know, if you're working 40, 50 hours a week, uh, and you've got a lot of stuff going on, if you've got kids at home or you have other activities and stuff, and you're doing your Bible study every week, all of a sudden, like that's, and then you're going to Mass on Sunday and like, that can be, it can feel like that's a lot. So then what's mm-hmm. your outlet for mission? What's your outlet for for how you're bringing someone else into relationship with Jesus Christ? And you need to have those things you can lean on and the anchors in your life um, for your own relationship with Jesus and your own walk and your own challenge, right? Again, if you're, if you're going out to try to evangelize, you should uh, probably be in some sort of spiritual direction or mentorship relationship. It doesn't have to be a clergy member that does your spiritual direction necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should have those people we can lean on to have accountability and vulnerability to to be formed and to be sent. But if it doesn't actually ever lead to mission, then it's just it's just fundamentally lacking. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say those groups have to stop meeting necessarily. But you have to maybe rethink your schedule. Do you meet every week, and then the off week is you take the t- the same time slot and go find six new people to go invest in, or maybe you go two by two. So if you've got a group of eight, you go form four new groups. And you go out and you can find an outlet for for what you're receiving. And just like you just did right now, you said, this is what I was reading this morning and it's on my heart and I'm going to share it. Like, that's what we should be doing on our daily walk with Jesus too. We should be receiving something maybe one week in Bible study and and what we're praying with, what we're reflecting with. We can go out and then share that with someone else in relationship, but also maybe in a, in a formal thing as well. Yeah, so I think the word that you just used that I think stands out is invest. And so from, I think like a, a small faith group that might be um, meeting in an ongoing way, and, and there's priest groups that meet like, you know, for decades, you know, these guys, and I really admire them for that. And I think even my, my mom's been part of the same prayer group for 50 years now or close, close to it, I think. But then also, like you said, so if I'm if I do that because it's good for myself and it's good for my own spiritual well-being and I have vulnerability and accountability with those people that's that's wonderful. But then I'm also called to invest in others. So it's something that I'm part of not for myself but for the other. And so I'm actually going to pour into these people for their sake, not for my sake. Um, and I think that's just a, a little like I said, well, it's time consuming because my gosh, like if, especially if I'm married with kids, like I'm already investing in these little disciples uh, that are running around. Um, but are we making room at the table for those new faces? And are we praying about who the Lord is calling us to personally like reach out to? Well, that's why the, the prayer stuff is so important because, I mean, and you hear this all the time with like the Steubenville retreat, for example, the Steubenville conference we do in the summer. It's beautiful. It's powerful. And you have people who go on it as a chaperone for the first time, and they're blown away because they never knew something like this existed in the Catholic Church, you know. But they're there as like as core team members or as leaders for the young people trying to help them go deeper. But then what you can develop really easily is you can develop conference junkies who are there. They're supposed to be ministering to the young people, but they're getting so much out of it themselves. And it's it's not bad to get something out of it, but if that's the only place you're you're receiving 
then actually your role at the conference is, is a little bit off. It's a little bit right. wrong. And you see that not just at Steubenville, but in all areas of the church. Whereas like if, if you're going and you're leading these conferences, if all I ever did was lead workshops and conferences and I never found a place to actually feed and grow, I would have nothing to offer eventually. It becomes very shallow. St. Bernard of Clairvaux, in uh, he's quoted in The Soul of the Apostle, which is a great book on prayer. It might even be on the shelf up here. Um, he talks about being uh, the difference between a channel and a reservoir, right? The right. channel is where something's just flowing through it, and as soon as it goes through, it's empty, whereas the reservoir is what feeds the, feeds the river, and it draws from its depth and its richness in our prayer life. In our ministry life, we have to be reservoirs where something, maybe something different, is bubbling up all the time. It's not just not just not only the latest thing I heard, but also just that that depth of our own formation. Yeah, I think the other image that maybe Matthew Kelly used in one of his books, and I'm sure he stole from somebody else, but the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee has a river that flows through it. Uh, the the Dead Sea just is a dead end. Uh, and so nothing lives in the Dead Sea. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's dead. Uh, yeah, so I think, you know, as we're going out right now and we're just having these genuine conversations about good things that are going on even in the parishes and we're talking about trying to create new ardor uh, in, in the faith lives of our parishioners, but the new mode is saying, like, listen, in some of our parishes... My gosh, and like you know, they say like, well, we have fifty small groups that are that are meeting all the time, and they've been meeting for years, and it's, that's a great thing. How many of them have been empowered to go and to start another group on their own, not for their own sake, but for the sake of the others? Uh, Linda Putnam, um, who works here as well, um, who's now the director of special projects. And she was talking about when she went through her conversion uh, and came into the church and then went on an axe retreat. They said, oh, yeah, like we want you to like join a Bible study, but all of ours are full. So if you want to do it, you have to just start it on your own. Good luck. Yeah. And so it was kind of like, this is something you should do, but we're all too busy to actually host you. So she said, so nothing came of it. And it was kind of like this really weird thing of, Here's a good thing, but there's there's nobody here that will mentor you or will will help you to start it because they're all full, and so you can, I don't know, wait for somebody to die in a small group and then see if they invite you in. <laughs> you know? Yeah, Focus has this great resource called the Discipleship Roadmap. And yeah, everyone's got their own different categories and language and things, and and we like to overlay some of like Sherry Waddell's thresholds with some of the Discipleship Roadmap and Encounter Group, and there's all these different like ways you could slice it. But one of the things, the distinctions I love in it, it, it talks about the difference between a, uh, you know, you have your conversion and then you become a beginning disciple, a mature disciple, uh, a, a disciple maker, and then a spiritual multiplier. And one of the differences they talk about is a beginning disciple is willing to begin to make sacrifices in their own life and their own schedule and convenience to grow in their relationship with Jesus. Like if, if you're on your on that path and you're becoming a mature disciple, you're willing to, to start, you know, going to mass on Sunday because that's important to you. You start willing to set aside that 20 to 30 minutes to pray, you know, maybe to go to daily mass and, and to learn and, and maybe you make time for that Bible study in your own life for the first time. But a disciple maker, which is what we're really trying to get to here and even the fruitfulness of, of the next level after that, a disciple maker is willing to alter their schedule and inconvenience themselves for the sake of another. Right. To lay down their life for the mission so that you might know Jesus. 
And that's a, you know, that's a real challenge sometimes because it can, it can become habit, it can become routine or, or I want to set up guardrails and protect my own faith. And, and that's just, you know, again, that's where like that spiritual director or that small group you have, like you have to verbalize these things because they can help you kind of figure out where those balances are. Yeah. And I think, again, one of the hesitations can be, well, well, who am I to invite somebody, you know? So if I, you know, if I think one of the things that I, I want to try to start uh, chumming the water with, so to speak, with our guys, that's like, well, what is, what is one of the signs of a vibrant parish? I think one of the signs of a vibrant parish is that if I walked in and I asked people, who are you discipling right now? They'd be able to name somebody. Or who are you working on? Like, who do you feel the Lord's calling you? Like, that we have this mentality and this mindset that isn't just about my own self-perfection and self-holiness, but really, like, but now I'm willing to kind of go out and try to invite somebody else on Look, because you had that moment well. of conviction. Right. Share that story, wouldn't you? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, at uh, St. Clair Vecisi, I was a pastor there and doing all the busy things that we that busy pastors do. So going from meeting to meeting and just saying like, well, my gosh, we have so many things kind of going on here all the time. And so the Knights of Columbus and the, the women's club and the men's club and the school board meetings and parish council and finance council and the youth group and the young adult group and just, you know, the full like spectrum that you'd expect of like, we can check all the boxes. We have a, we have a group for everybody here. But then I was listening to a, a talk by Tim Glemkowski and he said, uh, if I walked into your parish on Sunday and asked, well, everybody who's personally being discipled by Father, please stand up. Would anybody stand? And I was like, oh, man. Like, I mean, if they think that discipleship is me popping into, like, meetings and saying the opening prayer and being there to God, give my pastoral guidance, maybe. But that's kind of a lame excuse for, like, personal discipleship, you yeah, know? Right. Yeah, and so I, I did. So I had to... I went to prayer and I was just really convicted that I needed to change my own mode and make room. And really, that's all it was. I didn't stop doing all those other meetings that I was going to, but I started missing a few of them here and there because I was trying to make room to identify some of... Uh, I, I targeted some of the middle-aged dads that I saw in the parish and just said, like, I, I think that the Lord's calling me to engage these guys, not because I'm the end-all be-all, but because I think that there's something more the Lord wants to give to them and then do through them uh, for the for the larger body. And yeah, that's how my priesthood and my, my own understanding of what is a top priority and how things should go started to shift in my life. Yeah. And that coincided, uh, I think, providentially with taking on this new role too, you know, yeah. in terms of like, that was a, a gut check you needed as you were stepping into this to, to really help understand um, like what was going to make us fruitful long-term. Yeah, and, and, and I'll be honest, like even as a priest, like I was nervous. Like I, I was nervous inviting these 12 guys over. Yeah. And I was like, uh, they're going to, I don't know what they're going to think. Uh, and they didn't know what to think. And I'd even tell them, like, hey, I'm inviting you over because I want to enter into a mentor-discipleship relationship with you. <laughs> I want to, you know. No, we invited them over just to spend time together first. And, uh, and again, and to pray a little bit, uh, build trust, pray, 
and then be vulnerable. Like, and, and so really it was, what's one thing that you desire and one thing that you need prayer for? And answering those simple questions takes a relationship that is pretty transactional to a whole different level then of being able to then invest and, uh, yeah, check in on them about how they are doing with their with their jobs and their marriages and their kids and all the things and that it, actually matter. And it wasn't that you didn't know that, you know, like, but we need those reminders too. Right. I mean, for me, it was, I, uh, I was working here doing young adult ministry for probably a couple of years. And I went back to a focus conference, I think it was in Dallas or something. And I was really convicted in prayer at that conference as I was, they were, this is when I first started doing their making missionary disciples kind of tracks and things and trying to do something a little bit different with folks off campus. And I was there, this is an alum, just to kind of plug back in and, and stay with it. And I was just really convicted all of a sudden that I, everything I was doing was wrong. And, and I was just, I was trying to do nice things for Jesus instead of really build out this relational capacity in my own relationships that of the people I was working with in young adult ministry, and then creating the spaces and foster the opportunities for people to do that. So we came back and, and we started up doing Emmaus groups, which is a great small group program we did for a long time. And, and, you know, again, like, those things became the building blocks for like an explosion of young adult ministry because it wasn't just, oh, we can get 100 Catholics together in a room and talk about Jesus for 30 minutes and, and call it nice, but it was, it was where things started to shift. And some of those people who were in those earlier groups are now leading the charge in so many different ways in ministry. So, I, I mean, I think maybe this is the encouragement for for parish leaders, for pastors, for whoever, too, is... is you know, um, maybe you've lost that love and feeling, you know, or whatever it is, but, but just to continue to beg and ask the Lord, like, what, what is it you want from me and how do you want me to live this? And, and what's different about what I'm doing right now than maybe what the Lord is actually calling me to do. Right. Yeah. And then I think, um, not only being willing to, again, make that, that shift in our own thing, but then also with the intentionality again, which is very important. So even when I met with that first group of guys, uh, and that, I think, happened before COVID hit. So COVID obviously derailed a lot of things in all of our lives. But I did it. But I put a timeline on it. And I said, I, I, I plan on spending a year with you. And then I need to invite more guys to this table. And you guys will go on your own and then start to go. And, and so to, like, to begin with the end in mind of, I don't imagine this being a stagnant group. Uh, that it, it should kind of grow and, and develop and to be able to be empowered and that eventually, just like I was convicted, I hope that they will be convicted and they can look out and they can see other men and women in their own uh, life that God is calling them to say like, hey, like, come follow, like, let me bring you to the Lord. Like, you know, come, come follow him. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know? All right, so as we wrap up our conversation, some of our uh, conversations on Go and Make get a, lo a little long sometimes. Last <laughs> week's podcast, I think, was about an hour. So I'm trying to get people <laughs> off the hook earlier this time. Um, we'll offer some some practical advice and tips. So I'll start, and then I'll throw it to you maybe okay. for a practical Perfect. tip, give you half a second to think about it as I throw <laughs> this on you. But um, but my, my first one would just be to, to schedule uh, an, at least once a week an extended period of prayer time. So for us here, the Curia, we have a holy half hour every Wednesday. Mm -hmm. um, and in the midst of busyness, that's the anchor time that I know I'm never going to miss because I have to set up for it. No, um, and it's and and use that time to ask the Lord to reveal to you like where you're called to invest. So you know, receive and respond. So where is He calling you to to respond? 
in your life and, and maybe just ask him to shine a light on on those areas where you could be more intentional with your relationships and that kind of discipleship. That's my first practical tip. You stole mine. Yeah, no, so I was going to say to, to be intentional about um, who the Lord is calling you to reach out to. But then I think the follow-up to that, uh, I would say, is and then to share that inspiration with somebody else so that they can ask you, well, how's it going? Like, So you, you said that this person at work was somebody that you wanted to pray for, intercede with, kind of build trust with, you know, like help them across these thresholds, that there's somebody else that you're talking to about your inspiration so they can hold you. So it's just not, well, I kind of have a special intention in my heart that I'm just kind of doing. But I think, again, that accountability on the other side. Um, so one of the things that, again, we're trying to do with our pastors right now, as I said, um, we want you, everything that we do together in this little cohort, you should be able to duplicate or replicate in some way at your parish over the next couple of months. Uh, let me know how and when you've done that uh, so we can talk about it and then um, actually grow from our experience uh, of trying to do it. So I think that accountability, so pray for the inspiration and then share that with somebody else so they can hold you accountable to, well, how's that going and what does that look like in your life? Yeah, that's great. Wonderful. Well, great conversation today. Yeah. Um, I think we're planning on sitting down about once a month and, and seeing where we go with the uh, the conversations for the podcast. So great. Not the not the faith story background as much as uh, as we've had with some of the other guests. We'll keep going going with those too. But I just think it's going to be a great opportunity to continue to check in on kind of how you know this is our accountability too. You right. know, with with the listening audience of like, what are we working on? What are we learning? How's the Lord moving in, in the things that we're doing and trying with parishes and pastors? And yeah, it's it's kind of fun. Yeah. So again, even say a prayer because I'm trying to I'm doing a four week series at Christ the King, unpacking the Archbishop's vision document. But again, continuing to learn myself, like what does it really mean, like to be a, a church that listens well and what are the prerequisites for that and how do we how do we wrestle with that you know and um yeah and so i think like you said we're learning as we go as well and we're just trying to be open and be inspired as we go and so happy to share as we learn and as we continue with these cohorts and the things that we're trying to do through the office of evangelization about uh glory stories and train wrecks <laughs> yeah that's right we'll have more of those to share for right. sure great will you uh close this with the prayer father sure well, Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks, uh, especially for this Lenten season, this season where you invite us uh, to let go of those things that might be an impediment just to receiving more of your grace. And we just pray that you can fill us with the gift of your Holy Spirit, that you can inspire within us those people in our lives that you desire to draw closer to the heart of your Son through our words and actions. And so we just pray that you can help renew your church, that you can create uh, a new ardor uh, of faith and prayer in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Go and right. make disciples. All right. Amen. Amen. Amen.